Hello there, this is Eileen Campbell-Reed and I am here today interviewing Dr. Beverly Wallace and we're delighted that she could be with us to talk about uh, grief in particular. Uh, she is currently a professor at Luther Seminary in St. Paul, Minnesota, and she has a number of years of experience in teaching and pastoring and counseling and working around the issues of grief, particularly uh, grief in African-American communities. And at Union Theological Seminary, we've been reading her book uh, about African-American uh, grief, and it's been a tremendous um, support to our students and to all of us to learn uh, what she did when she did qualitative research with people who were grieving. So thank you so much for being with us today. Well, thank you for having me. I really appreciate the invitation to come and talk about grief and loss, especially during this period, the season of this pandemic. And so, yes. Again, thank you. Absolutely. I want us to begin with uh, just getting to know you a little more, and I mm -hmm. hope you'll tell us a little something about your call to ministry and teaching and how you uh, found yourself getting into this work. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm a native New Yorker. Um, I'm born and raised in Brooklyn, New York. Um, and when I went to school, first I went to school in Boston for about a year and a half, then transferred to Adelphi University where I received my um, bachelor's degree in, in social work. And so uh, my interest was always in um, caring about the community, what was going on in the community, mm. and especially in, uh, around um, understanding um, the particularities of, of communities and, and communities of color. I grew up in the public project, public housing. And so I remember taking a course where people had to come and assess different communities and they, someone came to Brownsville and saw it in a particular way and described it in a particular way. And, and as I was looking at it and had to take the assignment, I looked at it from the perspective of um, there's some good things that are happening in this community. And so how then do we um, engage in an analysis that is reflective of the contextual realities of um, particularly a community of color, um, an African-American community. So I started that. Um, I never planned on being a pastor. didn't <laughs> want to be a pastor. Um, I don't like preaching. I oh. don't like preaching. And so, but, but what I recognize is that, um, that a lot of congregations and pastors did not understand um, or had the resources to engage communities um, around um, psychological issues and um, right. even social work. And so, okay, if I'm going to be um, in this discipline, I'm going to um, um, go with my calling. And even though I don't like to preach, um, but um, to, to engage in this work. Um, There's so I, many other ways to bring what you're talking about to a congregation than just preaching so yes clearly you were doing so much more than being a preaching minister right right um um interesting when i went for my first masters um it was at the university of north carolina greensboro and and my professor was saying you're too concentrated and again at that time that was not part of my calling um I didn't think it was my calling to be a pastor, but <laughs> my supervisor said, my um, 
you're spending so much time in church. And so then I recognized with the help of the community, this is something that I was interested in doing um, and I was called to. And so, yeah. There's nothing better than a call that comes from the community and God. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Exactly. Um, I am Lutheran. um, And so with our polity and our practice on you cannot receive uh, you cannot be ordained until you receive a call Uh well and it took a very long time for me to get a call almost three years and so in the meantime i had to do something Um, when i was in seminary i did clinical pastoral education and um got one semester that was it i mean one summer unit that was going to be it um, because I told God that um, there's some things about this I was not going to I did not want to experience well last night on call um, there was a death of a baby Mm. Um, and Mm. because I had told God let me get through this without that um, that experience there was a death of a baby she her name I can remember it to this day Chloe Marie um, born in nine, born. Um, she was born, but she was dead at birth um, in 1994. Mm-hmm. Still remember her name. Um, and because I couldn't get a call right away, took a deep breath and went back and did um, another 10 units of clinical pastoral education. 10 units of pastoral education. Yes, I. I was heading toward um, becoming a a CPE supervisor. I was thinking about that when um, my husband received a call to Minnesota. And so I was like, okay, what am I going to do there? Um, But that experience in in the residency was wonderful. Um, Even though I told God I didn't want to experience that, I knew that part of my own formation was to address that. And so I spent some time in the children's hospital my concentration started mm-hmm. in women's mm-hmm. health and looking at issues of, of, of health and health disparities among women, particularly African-American women. Yeah. So that's part of my call. My so your experience, recovery. yeah, it sounds like your experience really kept t- helping you take next steps to, into yes. your calling. Yes. And, and, mm-hmm. and so you found yourself interested in understanding, I really appreciate that about the book that we read um, in our class yeah. about understanding the, not only the unique experiences of uh, a particular community, African-Americans in death, dying, and grief, but also how much um, social injustice is wrapped up in that. I wonder yes. if you talk a little bit more about what you've learned about that over the years and, and how you're thinking about that. Yeah. Um, yeah, and, and I think it um, has always been um, in the back of my mind. Um, mm. My mom herself, she was born with polio. Okay. And so, and that was in 1934. And so she would tell me stories. I mean, she, she told me the story of what happened um, around her experience of polio mm. and the fact that in the, the rural South, um, she didn't get the treatment mm. that other communities, children um, of European American background received. And so she, so the disparities were there. Um, 
and recognize, particularly in this small community where she grew up, where interestingly, I'm back here in this community, there was always um, um, disparities and always um, a racial divide. Um, there used to be a sign over the Noose River that said, this is KKK country, love it or leave it. Mm. And so she grew up in that um, with the experience of, of you know, contracting polio and not getting the, the care that she needed much earlier mm. in life. If she was a little white girl, they would have, you know, did something different. But because she was a little black girl, um, the treatment took longer. She was away from her family uh, for six months. Imagine being six years old and being in the hospital away from family when there was no transportation for them to go and see her. Um, so that that's the, um, the background of uh, my interest in, um, in looking at and recognizing um, some of the health disparities. I appreciate so much that this is an issue that's very important, but it's also a personal story that has impacted mm. every day of your mother's life and your life. Mm. Um, and we should say, even though you teach in St. Paul, you also have a home base living in North Carolina. Well, I'm oh, here. Or you're just <laughs> well, here. actually, I have a house. I, I have a house in Atlanta. Okay. <laughs> You are but everywhere. I am. I'm here in North Carolina. I moved, came here in um, 2014. Yeah, it's been six years. Okay. Um, because my mom was getting older and my brother was getting, my brother um, um, lived with um, HIV status. And so okay. um, my mom was having some health issues and her doctor said, you need to come here, check on your mom, see what's going on with your mom. And okay. so that's, I migrated here um, to okay. be close to her. And so I um, was teaching at Shaw University Divinity School while I was here. And then when my position was eliminated, um, um, sought out another position and that's how I wound up in, in St. Paul, okay. Minnesota and Ruby right. Seminary. Mm -hmm. Well, I really relate to that because I, I commuted to Minnesota when I worked at Luther Seminary so. <laughs> from Nashville. I never left my home base of Nashville. So okay. yeah. I get how that's, uh, and it sounds like it's important really for you to be near your mom right now. Absolutely. She, she has dementia. After my brother got really, he had a, a second stroke, talk about health disparities. So he had a second stroke and um, it really impacted my mother to, to the point of, um, her suffering a little TIA, which led into dementia. And so um, for the last, um, since 2015, she's had dementia um, and has been um, going downhill, um, supposedly. She's been in hospice twice and they kicked her out twice okay. of hospice. Uh, no, she graduated, I'll put it this way. She graduated from hospice twice. And so during this pandemic, when um, I, I had to place her in, the care facility while I was working at Luther because um, there was just I couldn't manage that. Um, I tried for about a couple of months, but then she got sick, um, and so mm -hmm. we had to place her in a care facility. But during this pandemic, I happened to be here to to visit to check on her. And when they said that no one can go and visit her, I said I have to bring her home. 
And mm -hmm. so fortunately with me teaching online, I'm able to, to um, care for her in her home. This is her home. My house wow. is in Atlanta, but this is her home okay. that I, I'm bringing her here. Wow. But, I mean, but being at St. Paul, is, this is my second um, go round. Again, earlier I said that I was doing, um, my husband got a call to, to Luther Seminary, and so I had to figure out what was I going to do, whether or not I was going to do CPE or get my PhD. Okay. And so it was going to take me as long to get my certification and um, become a CPE supervisor as a PhD. So I was like, oh, that I'll do a PhD um, for, at the University of Minnesota. And fortunately, um, my advisor was um, Dr. Paul Rosenblatt, who was phenomenal. Okay. And you no, know, his interest was in grief and loss, death and dying um, from an um, um, anthropological perspective. And he, he called on me, um, asked me to be his research assistant um, with the, the interest in doing research on grief and loss in the African-American community. Yeah. And so that's how the book came about. Okay. Um, he, with my experience, the, the total, the 10 plus one, the 11 units of, of CPE, yeah. knowing that I could talk about and be with people who were grieving um, or experienced a loss. Um, he tapped me to be his research assistant and yeah. so went around the country, do, you, know, you know, doing interviews around um, the grieving experience of, of African-Americans. That sounds like he needed you and it was a great fit for you because you already had the interest. Wow. What a mm -hmm. nice, what a nice way that came together. Yeah. And, uh, it produced a resource that's so helpful. And we're, uh, mm -hmm. we were so grateful to be reading it. Um, this term, I wonder mm -hmm. if you could say anything uh, more about how you've come to understand out of that work and other research you've done and writing about grief and loss and death mm -hmm. and the the injustices of health disparity. Uh, I wonder mm -hmm. if you could t say for a minute, to us more about how you see this in an intersection between uh, justice, work for racial justice, other kinds of mm. um, justice to overcome disparities, mm -hmm. and pastoral care. How do mm. those things come together for you in your work and your understanding? Yeah, um, and so, you know, as one who teaches um, pastoral care, um, and have done the study, you know the classical functions of pastoral care, right? Um, um, I remember my husband talking about a neo neoclassical functions of pastoral care, which included advocacy and liberation. Yeah. And so for me, it was a, it was a no brainer that part of pastoral care, looking at it from the perspective of, of, of issues of injustice had to include advocacy and um, for the purposes of liberation. How then do we do that? How then do we engage in that? That means we're gonna have to do some critical analysis of, around um, systems and social structures that impede the healing and wholeness of God's people. Yeah. And so there, I mean, it's, it's there, I mean, Jesus was a radical. I mean, he addressed injustices. And so if we are to, to um, be representatives of God in this healing work, then, I mean, this is what we are called to do. We have to look at and 
um, part of our calling is not just preaching, right. but how <laughs> then do we engage in the healing work? And healing work can take place in the, in the preaching, if you recognize that. Um, mm -hmm. It's in the workshop. It's in, you know, all that we do, um, gather, to folk, you know, gather people together to worship God who wants, I believe, and this is my theology, God wants for God's people abundant life. Yeah. And so how then do we engage in that? And so then the question is what happens? And um, I did a piece on the Odyssey. So what happens? How do we, how do we think about who God is in times when um, there's death, especially um, when there's a sudden death, especially um, when the life of Chloe Marie, who a week before was alive and kicking in her mother's womb, and then the next week she's dead. How then do we understand that? You know, where was God in that? And as pastoral care providers, walking with people and trying to have them understand their understanding of God and their relationship with God during those times of grief and loss, death and dying. Um, one of the premises of the book that, you know, and part of the research that, you know, around the book was that oftentimes, particularly because of, of life disparities where um, um, we have to deal with just trying to live as African-American folk, we've not had, nor had we taken the, um, the, the time or the permission to grieve, you know, we've not done that. Um, I mean, in a way, in a way that's, um, um, we've not had the time. Yeah. Um, we, we grieve at funerals, you know, and, you know, the expressiveness at funerals, but then we're busy trying to figure out, um, what, what do I need to do next? You know, how do I, like during this pandemic, how then do I, you know, um, take care of the businesses of the insurance, all of that, you know, we're busy with that. Right. And so when do we give ourselves permission to grieve? Um, yeah. And then recognizing too that the, um, the loss of, of a life, it, loss of anything is connected, would oftentimes connect with another loss, including the loss of the freedom and the liberty that um, um, as persons of color have often escaped us. Right. Beverly, what would you say is the cost to people when they don't have the time to, or the cultural support to attend to their grief? Mm-hmm. So then that grief um, um, gets stuck, you know, persons get stuck, um, not recognizing that grief is going to come out some way, somehow, when we least expect it. Physical like, health? Says absolutely, the, you know, the, the stressor on your body. And so, so that's why this is so, this pandemic piece, you know, COVID is so 
complicated and interesting because um, those who are having issues with physical health, such as diabetes, um, heart disease, and all of that caused by stress, they're, 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 they're dealing with this virus or they're, you know, the, the, this infusion in their, of this virus into their bodies complicates it even more, you yeah. know? And it, I mean, this is a lot. <laughs> it's like a, a lot. snowball, isn't it? It's just oh like, oh my a gosh. Snowball. Yeah. Yeah. It keeps going and going. So, so persons, you know, living in, um, I'll just say this, a racist society mm-hmm. causing the stress of trying to live and be, and be human yeah. in a, particularly in a country that has never really valued the life of African-Americans. Um, still trying, I mean, and not having the opportunity to even grieve that loss um, because it was a loss, a loss of one's humanity from the very beginning. Um, and then causing stress in one's body, then hit with this virus, and then the response to it, the response to it, where, again, others seem, not, not all, but some people seem not to understand that, um, that my life is connected to your life. And so, yes, you want the freedom to go and go, go get your hair cut or go to um, open up you know, spaces when um, gov- governors or some governors are saying you need to shut down, not recognizing the impact it's having. Yeah. Um, the insurance, not having the insurance to, mm. to go to a health facility to get the <clears throat> care. I mean, you're, you're causing death again and then how then do we grieve all of that? And then, you know, and I think you're going to talk a little bit about this rituals, you know, and not now having to rethink rituals around saying goodbye to someone. Um, so complicating the grief process in ways that are still unfolding. I mean, yeah, unimaginable time. Right. The layers and layers of this are, I appreciate you just showing us layer upon layer of what this is like and mm. in particular for African-American communities. And, and I, I want to return to what you said about how much grieving in uh, the funeral or memorial setting is the, what, one of the most um, important ways that um, African-American folks uh, and in churches uh, deal with cope with, or at least express some of their sense of loss and grief. And without the possibility of that, I mean, I know some churches and some funeral homes are continuing to put people at risk by allowing them to gather in some small numbers. And that's another complicating mm-hmm. issue. Um, but without the, the, generally, uh, the general decision not to be together as groups and not to have um, group funerals and memorials, what's what's happening right now with African-American community as there's loss and death, not just from COVID, but from any other cause. Um, what's this doing to the community at this moment? And how are they finding ways to cope in this mm-hmm. situation? Yeah. Again, what, yeah. And again, like I said earlier around not having the time to grieve because you have to get busy with what's next. Um, even before the pandemic, that was the reality. Even more so now, and 
because, for example, one of my, my colleagues, her father passed away, um, didn't know the cause of it, hadn't been tested. I mean, her father had not been tested for um, COVID. And then real, after finally being tested um, and after um, his death, realized he had the, the virus. Wow. Members of the family had gathered for the funeral. Guess what? They had contracted the virus. Oh. And so again, layer upon layer of, around, yeah. you know, what do I do now? Um, I don't think that we've had time to figure out what's next yeah. <laughs> around or even the process you know, how are we doing funerals? How are we doing these rituals? We, I don't think that we've had time yet to figure that out and what it's doing to us around not having um, a supportive community to hold us during that time where we can't even put uh, our arms around other family members to comfort us and care for us. We've not, um, we've not processed that. And so yeah. this work of grief, um, grief work and how we're going to grieve, um, how we, it's, 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 it's novel too. We're in the middle you know, of even, it. We're yeah. in the middle of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, that, that makes me want to ask, um, mm -hmm. I think this probably because of time will need to be close to our final question, but, okay. uh, I want, I want to ask you to think about, I know for yourself, you have experienced a number of griefs in your life. Mm -hmm. And um, mm -hmm. you've been coping with and not only helping understand publicly and writing about grief and loss, but also mm -hmm. you've, you've learned some things for yourself about how to attend to your grief. And I wonder if you might, as a word of mm -hmm. encouragement and perhaps hope for us, tell mm -hmm. us about how you've learned that you must cope with your loss and grief. Um. And I think first is to reframe what we mean by death, how we understand death. Okay. Um, theologically, um, you know, we say we believe in the resurrection. Um, do we believe it? Can we embrace it? Can we also um, recognize that um, Yes, the loss is real. Um, um, and at the same time, um, it's not the end of um, um, embracing an, a new way of thinking about death and um, the circle of life. Um, the, um, I was listening last night to um, Sweet Honey in the, in the Rock and okay. one of their songs was, the ancestors are with us, you know, they're here and the wind and the trees and all of that. And then, uh, so for me, reframing what it means to do that. And then um, giving ourselves, you know, no one's gonna give us permission to do anything. We're gonna have to give ourselves a permission to um, take the time and, and be human, um, express one's, um, humanness by crying when necessary, um, shouting it out, dancing it out, doing what's necessary, finding ways of remembering the fact that this person that you've, 
that is no longer here um, and the flesh we've loved them um, maybe set up and I know your class is talking about um, doing rituals but setting up altars of mm -hmm. remembrance so that one can um, um, laugh and cry and, and just be human and the experience of losing someone um, and find and then finally finding someone to talk with about the experience finding a grief counselor or therapist or a very good friend that you can be real with yeah. and just talk about the experience because um, every day is going to be new and different. Um, some, I'm thinking about my brother who passed away in 2015. Mm. And some days I laugh at him, you know, laugh. Sometimes yeah. I'm angry with him. It's like, yeah. you know, um, I think about him and how he lived life in the fullest. Mm -hmm. And that too helps me to realize, you know, even while I'm going through, um, how do I live life? You know, how am I going to live this life? Because it is a gift. And how do I um, treasure this gift called life? Mm. So. That is a wonderful ending place. Mm. How do we treasure this life that is yes. a gift? Thank you. Yes. That um, beautiful way of uh, reframing life itself, mm -hmm. including its losses and how we learn to live with them mm. creatively. Thank mm. you so much for taking time today to talk with Thank me you. and uh, by extension uh, my mm. class and others who will watch our conversation i'm really mm. grateful for your work and for your life thank you appreciate you mm -hmm.